Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. And now on to Mark chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 35 to verse 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Before we think about it together for a few minutes, let me pray for us uh, as uh, we begin. Your decrees are very trustworthy, writes the psalmist. Our God and Father, we do thank you for you revealing yourself to us in the scriptures. And we thank you that just as you are trustworthy, just as you are reliable, so those scriptures are reliable. We ask that as we listen to them together this morning, we think about them and apply them to one another's lives, you would help us to apply them to ourselves. You would help us to listen and hear you speak. And we ask that having done so, we would love and we would trust you more fully and we would serve you even more wholeheartedly. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, social media network Twitter asked its users a question. How would you sum up the year 2020 in one word? It's a good question, isn't it? How would you sum up the year 2020 in one word? I wonder what your answer would be. If you're um, struggling for inspiration, let me tell you about a couple of the most popular answers on Twitter's own feed. Uh, computing company Microsoft summed up the year 2020 using the word delete, which I guess was both pretty fair and on brand for Microsoft, I think. Uh, and the PR department for YouTube went for something similar. Uh, they responded with the word unsubscribe. 
Um, but as the father of a three-year-old boy, the response that resonated with my own life experience came from children's toy maker Lego. Uh, Lego's official Twitter account responded to the question with a picture of an upturned piece of Lego captioned with the word, ouch. Uh, and if you've ever stood on a piece of Lego without shoes on, as I did on Christmas Day, you'll know that that one's funny because it's true. Um, but in the midst of lots of, of kind of mildly funny responses, one response stood out for me in particular. It was from an individual who summed up the year 2020 using the word powerless. One word to sum up 2020, powerless. And the reason that word stood out for me, I think, is that it resonated with much of my own experience through 2020 and through, I guess, much of most of our experiences through the past year. I can't remember another point in my own lifetime when our day-to-day -day lives felt quite so much out of our own control, when we were quite so powerless as we have felt in 2020. In one sense, the power to decide whether I can see my friends and family, whether I can go to work in person, whether I can travel, well, it's all laid in the hands of someone else, usually in the hands of a prime minister or a first minister, and often dictated to me each lunchtime with a daily briefing. And yet even the leaders who've been calling those kinds of shots have themselves been powerless. They've been at best trying to play catch up with the spread of a global pandemic. And yet even if we stick a pin in COVID for a moment, which is no small thing, there are plenty of other reasons you might have been made to feel powerless this year. Robin's reflected on, on a number of them, those that have touched their own church family, serious illness, job insecurity, childlessness, singleness. Coronavirus has perhaps just pulled back the curtain on what's been true all along. There is much that we face year by year and day by day, which we as limited creatures are powerless to do anything about. And vaccine or not, let me just spoil 2021 for you, it's sure to be the same again, because every year before 2020 was the same. There's an uplifting motivational message for the new year, isn't it? But it is true. And because it's true, when Robin asked me to choose a passage for this morning's service, I chose Psalm 93. Because Psalm 93 tells us what to make of 2020, tells us what to make of 2021, and it does so not in one word, but in three. Just look at the first three words of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. If you forget everything else that I say over the next few minutes, then please remember this. The Lord reigns. At the end of, of what's been a chaotic year for many of us, and as we look forward to an uncertain year to come, we're going to spend a few minutes anchoring ourselves in the one who is not chaotic, in the one who reigns, who always has, and who always will, even in the face of the chaos of life. Now, it is a short psalm, but we're going to look at it in three even shorter chunks. The first of those comes in verses 1 and 2, which make the point that the Lord reigns eternally 
and globally. Now, it's worth saying at the outset that Psalm 93 isn't about a Lord in the sense of, of, of like a master or a Lord of the manor or the house of lords. The phrase, the Lord, written in little capital letters in your Bible, is a translation of the personal name of the God of the Bible, Yahweh. We're talking about a particular God, a promise-making God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's who we're talking about in Psalm 93. And if that's who he is, then in the next couple of verses, we're told about what he is like. And to do that, the psalmist tells us about his wardrobe. I wonder if you noticed that. Just look again at verse 1 with me for a moment. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Now, each year on the opening day of Parliament at Westminster, the Queen of our country gives a speech. And to do that, she dresses in full ceremonial clothing, which includes the imperial state crown. The crown boasts nearly 3,000 diamonds, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, and around 270 pearls. And at the risk of sounding a bit uncouth, all of those stones, and they are stones, they're expensive stones, I'll grant you, but all of those stones make it really heavy. It weighs around a kilogram. And in fact, the queen struggles to keep her head up Whilst she's reading this speech, she needs to lift the script to her face so she can read it rather than looking down. Now, if it's so uncomfy, if it's so impractical, why does she bother wearing it? Well, she wears it because all of those impressive and expensive-looking jewels, well, they are symbols, aren't they? They're symbols of her power, of her majesty, of her status. And in fact, these days they kind of act as more than that because the queen's role is now largely ceremonial. So the jewels and the royal clothing, well, they actually enhance her status. They add weight to her position and power. Now in Psalm 93, we're told about the royal outfit of the reigning Lord. But notice that he doesn't need to wear regal clothing in order to symbolize or in order to enhance his status or his power. Verse 1, he is robed in majesty. Not in something that symbolizes majesty, not in something that enhances his majesty or makes him look more majestic or magisterial, in majesty itself. Carries on in verse 1. He isn't wearing a ceremonial sword to, to symbolize his strength or to make him look even more powerful than he really is. Verse 1, he puts on strength as his belt, strength itself. The point being made is that this God does not need to wear symbols to convey his majesty or his power. He has real power in and of himself. And that theme, the theme of God's absolute and incomparable power, is borne out in the rest of verses 1 and 2. And now, a few years ago, I went to the Louvre Museum in Paris with a few friends. And if I'm honest, and again, to sound a bit uncouth, it was a bit of a bewildering experience for me. I know nothing about art at all. And 
But among all of the, the paintings and the sculptures that, as I looked at them, went right over my head, there was one kind of artwork that I could make sense of. And it was the portraits and the sculptures of kings and queens of the past. The reason I could make sense of them is that underneath the picture was a little plaque, translated into English, thankfully, which simply told you where they ruled and when they ruled. And the rest of verses one and two are just a little like one of those plaques. They tell us the extent of the Lord's rule, where it is that he is the Lord of, and the duration of the Lord's rule, how long he has been king for. Firstly, the extent of the Lord's rule. Look again at verse 1. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Now, on its own, that phrase might make it sound like the order and the stability of the world is inherent in the world itself that it's self-sustaining, it's self-governing. But that isn't the point at all. It's actually quite the opposite. The point in context of the rest of the verse is that the one who reigns and rules in verse 1 has established it and sustains it. The point is that the whole world is under God's control. To put it another way, he has the whole world in his hands. That's the extent of his rule. He is a global, he is a universal king. And if that's the extent of his rule, then in verse 2 we read about the duration of his rule. Look again at that in verse 2. Your throne, says the psalmist, is established from of old. You are from everlasting. There has never been a time since the creation of the world when he didn't have the whole world in his hands. He has always been the reigning and ruling Lord of the universe. And no less so in 2020. Now I do hope that that's an encouragement to be reminded of. I certainly have found it an encouragement this week. But my guess is that it might not be news to you, particularly if you're a Christian. You might know that this is what you should believe about God. But let me ask you to be honest with yourself for a moment and to consider whether you really believe it, whether you always believed it, whether you have through 2020. Just take a moment to think about the world that we live in today. I read this past week about the situation in Yemen where the coronavirus crisis has hit a country that was already crippled by a lengthy, major armed conflict. We've seen racial and political tensions reaching ahead this year, haven't we? There were mass protests earlier in the year in the States and in the UK and elsewhere. Those are just a couple of examples of how things look at a global level. It doesn't look calm. And then take a moment to think on your own life for a second. The battles you face day by day, the ones you faced in 2020 and that you'll carry on facing in 2021. Again, Robin touched on some of these earlier this morning. Illness and the loss of loved ones. Job insecurity that just ramps higher and higher as lockdown carries on. 
And then there are the uncertainties that, that maybe aren't as high impact as those ones, but, but still do change day by day life. When or whether you were able to return to school in January, to know how long homeschooling is going to last this time, when you'll be able to visit family again, see friends again. This world is an uncertain place in many ways. Our experience, both as humanity and as a whole, and at an individual level, each one of us, I guess, over the course of this past year, our experience can make us question whether the Lord of Psalm 93, whether Yahweh really is in control. Is he strong enough to deal with what's going on around and about us? They are good questions. And helpfully, they're ones that the psalmist tackles directly in verses 3 and 4. Let's think about that under our next heading. The Lord reigns even in the face of chaos, verses 3 and 4. And now you might have, have noticed that yesterday marked a grim anniversary. On the 26th of December, 2004, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake, one of the largest ever recorded, ripped through an undersea fault in the Indian Ocean. The energy released was equivalent to over one and a half thousand times that of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. One and a half thousand times. And it propelled a massive column of water towards the unsuspecting shores of Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, and Thailand. The Boxing Day tsunami was the deadliest tsunami in recorded history took a staggering 230,000 lives in a matter of hours. Now, what on earth could be done to subvert that kind of chaotic and unpredictable power? Well, the answer is nothing. The best you could hope for was to try and get out of the way in time. See, the sea is as clear an example of human powerlessness in the face of chaotic forces you will ever see and so it isn't hard to understand why, in ancient cultures, not least Jewish culture, the sea was used as a metaphor, as a picture of chaos, of the uncontrollable forces in the world. And that makes sense of why the psalmist takes us from the stability, the strength of the throne room in verse 2 of Psalm 93, right into the midst of uncontrollable, battering, unpredictable seas in verse 3. Just read that again with me. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Notice that building rhythm as the verse progresses. It's like a crescendo of chaos, of waves getting louder and nearer and roaring and roaring and roaring. It's vivid language. And it vividly depicts what this world often feels like. And it is worth pausing just for a second to acknowledge that that is what it often feels like. Christians can sometimes be reluctant to acknowledge that the world can be chaotic and messy, as though it would somehow be an expression of a lack of trust in God. But the Bible doesn't gloss over mess and difficulty. In fact, the Bible has a more realistic and a better framework it helps us make sense of the complexity of the world more than anything else you'll find anywhere else. Now, I'm not saying we, we go looking for drama where there isn't any, 
But the reality is that verse 3 might actually be quite a fitting picture of how 2020 has gone for you. Chaotic, uncontrollable, and in fact, I know fine well that for quite a few of us, that's exactly how it's gone. Because I know you. (laughs) We do live in an uncertain world. And comfort for the Christian, listen to me, comfort for the Christian does not come in pretending otherwise. But there is still comfort for the Christian, even in the midst of that kind of chaos. See, in response to the threefold repetition about the chaos of the floods in verse 3, we get a threefold repetition about the one who is stronger. Look again at verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. See, comfort for the Christian does not come in pretending that chaos doesn't exist. It comes in knowing the Lord who is stronger. God has not been caught off guard by the events of 2020. He is not overwhelmed by the state of the world. He is not firefighting, trying to work out what to do right now. He is mightier. He always has been. He always will be. Now, all of that still does leave us with questions. If he is so strong, for example, if he is so strong, why doesn't he stop the chaos? Does he really care about us? And those are valid questions. But whatever we might be tempted to conclude when we we review our own circumstances, we can be sure that he really does care. And we can be sure of that because he entered in. In the person of Jesus Christ, he stepped down from the glory of heaven into the chaos of this world. We saw that quite literally in our second reading from Mark chapter four this morning, didn't we? In the bow of a boat being battered by a storm. But perhaps even more profoundly, we see it metaphorically at the cross as he was battered by chaos and opposition from a fallen, broken, sinful world, betrayed by his friends, convicted in a sham trial, humiliated and tortured, and finally crucified. We might not always understand what he's doing in chaos, and in fact, we often don't. But whatever his purpose is in 2020, whatever his purposes will be in 2021, We cannot look at either of those years and conclude that he has allowed things to happen because he's too weak to do anything about it. Nor can we conclude that he is indifferent or that he doesn't care because he cared enough to enter in, to subject himself to that kind of chaos. And he did so to make sure that ultimately his people would be delivered from it all into an eternity where there would be no more crying, no more chaos, no more confusion. He bore the buffeting waves so that you and I could enjoy eternal peace. However chaotic 2020 might have felt for you, 
And however powerless you feel right now, staring down the barrel of 2021, know that he is mighty and know that he cares. Now, if you're listening this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, I wonder what you make of all of that. See, it's often said that Christianity is, is, is wishful thinking. It's escapism that allows weak people to get through life. Or, or who perhaps just want to stick their fingers in their ears and ignore life's problems altogether. But you see, the problem with that is that Christianity doesn't actually give you neat answers to all of the difficulties we face in life. It doesn't ignore them, but it doesn't try to gloss over them either. It tells us of a God who is absolutely powerful, but who sent his son to enter into the most extreme suffering at the cross. That's too, too real, too true to life to be escapism, and it's too messy to be a pat answer. But it is compelling, because it's absolutely true. If you haven't ever considered that before, can I just say this would be a great time to do so at the turn of a new year? Let me invite you, as Robin has done, to the Christianity Explored course we're running in January. We'd be really delighted if you came. Bring those questions. Bring your big questions. Find out about who he is, what he's like for yourself. The Lord reigns even in the midst of chaos. Now, at this point in the psalm, we might back ourselves to guess how the psalm will end. We've heard so far, God is eternally and globally king, verses 1 and 2. He is powerful even over chaos, verses 3 and 4. And so, verse 5, praise him. That's where we expect it to end, isn't it? Worship this creator God. That's the conclusion we're expecting. But that isn't where the psalmist ends, just look again at verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. That kind of sticks out like a sore thumb from the rest of the psalm, doesn't it? Why move from God's creative power, his might and strength in the face of a chaotic world, to decrees, to, to, to law, to his holy house? Well, it isn't a change of subject, actually. It's part of the same theme. It's dominated the whole psalm. And we'll see that under our final heading this morning. Verse 5. The Lord reigns in the lives of his people through his words. Now, nearing the end of what had already been a pretty bonkers year for many of us, over the last couple of months, we've witnessed a particularly fraught election campaign in the United States. But whatever you think of the outcome, it seems likely that on the 20th of January next year, a new president, President Biden, will be sworn in as the president of the United States, the leader of, of one of the most powerful countries on the planet. Now, how is it, once he is made president, that President Biden will exercise his power? Well, he'll do it He'll exercise authority and rule by passing laws, won't he? And that principle might help us to understand what's going on at the end of Psalm 93. We aren't moving on to a completely different subject at the end of the psalm. It isn't that we deal with God's power and his reign and his rule in verses 1 to 4 and then just go off on a, on a kind of merry jaunt to talk about something else in verse 5. 
God's decrees, his laws, are part of how he exercises his rule and reign in the world. The two things are intricately connected. Now, when it's put in those terms, God's rule might sound like quite an austere thing. The God of the universe exercising his rule in your life through his laws might even sound like quite an oppressive thing when it's put in that way. But just notice that the psalmist doesn't seem to think it is. He doesn't lament God's rule in his life. It's precisely the opposite. He thinks it's a good thing. Just look again at verse 5. He says, your decrees are very trustworthy. They're, they're reliable. They're dependable. They don't chop and change with the transfer of power from one president to another. And more than that, through verse 5, we see that they aren't arbitrary. Again, that might be what we're tempted to, to, to think that living under God's rule would look like, living under the rule of a powerful God, as though he's some kind of distant sovereign, making us jump through moral hoops for the sake of it. But that isn't the sense of verse 5 at all. And to see that, just look for the change of venue in verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. We move from a throne room in verses 1 and 2 to God's house in verse 5. And that's important because God's house is another way of talking about the temple, the place where God would meet with his people here on earth. So the point being made, I think, is that God isn't exercising his rule over our lives like a distant sovereign. His, his trustworthy decrees show us what it looks like to live in relationship with him in his house under his rule. Now, it's important we're really clear that obedience to God's decrees, his laws, that's not how we become his people. Very, very important we're clear on that. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can make us God's people, can wash us clean, can make us holy and acceptable in his sight. There's no way of shortcutting that, no way of topping that up by obedience to him. But instead, submitting to his rule is what it looks like to be one of his people. Now, if you're a Christian, I wonder if all of that talk of, of, of decrees and obedience might sound a bit out of place at the end of a year like the one we've just had. What we really need right now is comfort and reassurance. What we need is Psalm 93, verses 1 to 4, not verse 5. Godliness is the last thing on your mind, given everything else that's been going on. But we cannot divorce God's authority over the chaos of the world from his authority over the lives of his people. It's his global, eternal authority, even in the midst of chaos, that gives him every right to speak into your life and mine. And actually, I do wonder whether now more than ever, being reminded of that's a good thing. Because on top of all of the perennial battles for godliness that many of us might have faced as Christians, well, the pressures of the past year may well have made godly living seem even more difficult. I wonder if living in close proximity with the same people day after day might have made patience 
feel especially hard. Or that living through a first lockdown and contemplating another with small children has made it difficult to to keep your temper, to guard your tongue. Perhaps hearing about lots of other people who seem to have small children, who seem to have flatmates or family to live with, when you would love to have small children, you would love to have flatmates or family to live with, but don't. Maybe that's made you feel resentful of other people or towards God. It might have seemed more difficult to be godly this year than it, than it was before. Or perhaps godliness just seems like a less of a priority, given everything else that's going on. We might have happily ignored our drift this year because of our circumstances. The pressure of working from home or, or the pressure of family life during an intense period or, or the difficulty of loneliness has allowed us to excuse our drift in godliness. Simple acts of obedience to God might have felt more difficult or less important this year. And they might seem to be less of a priority in the year to come, given everything else that's been going on. And yet, just as we are compelled by Psalm 93 to trust in his reign over all of the chaos we face in life, we are compelled by Psalm 93 to submit to his rule in our lives. The Lord reigns in the lives of his people through his words. Now, we don't do it alone. God himself helps us by his Holy Spirit living inside of us. He helps us by his his people, by our brothers and sisters, encouraging us, spurring us on, speaking the truth and love to one another, maybe even in a Zoom call or a Zoom breakout group after a service. And for your encouragement, and Robin mentioned this on Christmas Day, there have been myriad examples of God-honoring, sacrificial and loving service right across the church family over the past year. And I can say that with confidence because I and my family and others who I know closely have benefited richly from from all of your generosity and kindness in many, many different ways. There is plenty to be encouraged about. And we do thank the Lord for that. And yet whether there has been growth in obedience through 2020 or whether, well, it's just started to drop off your radar this past year, the question remains, will you, If you're a Christian, submit yourself in 2021 to the rule of your king. He is king of the universe. He is the king of you and me. Will you bow before him? Now, as we draw to a close, it is possible that as you reflect on the past year through the lens of Psalm 93, you feel a tinge of regret. Regret at the times that you haven't submitted to God's rule over your life. And if that is you, then I don't think you're alone. And Psalm 93 ends on a note of hope. And so shall we. Look again at verse 5. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. See, the powerful and mighty God of Psalm 93 rules and reigns over the world. He always has done. And he always will. He'll rule into eternity. 
And he won't just bring the chaotic forces of the natural world like seas to order like he does in verses 3 and 4. He will bring all of the chaotic forces of this world to order. And listen, that includes chaotic places like your heart and mine. One day we will be with him. We will see him face to face in his perfection, in his holiness, and we'll enjoy him forever. And the battles with sin that we faced in 2020 and that we will face in 2021, well, they'll be done. He'll be free from its presence altogether. And we will be fit for his holy house. You can trust that that will happen because he promises he will do that. And he is absolutely powerful enough to do that. And so until he calls us home to be with him, until he returns, then keep pressing on in obedience to him, relying on the Spirit's help, relying on the help of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Keep pressing on in obedience to him, knowing that 2020, whatever it might have felt like, it was his. 2021, whatever it brings, is his. And that as, you, as a Christian, in your small day-by-day -day acts of obedience, you're submitting yourself to the rule of the king of all things, to my king and to yours. Let's pray to him now. Our God and Father, we thank you for the reassurance that you reign and rule over the world. You always have, you always will, no matter how chaotic things might feel or look. We ask, Lord, that for those of us who, who follow you, have been rescued by you, we ask that knowing that, knowing that's what you're like, would shape how we live. It would give us confidence in your purposes, and it would grow our desire to be obedient to you in the day-to-day -day walk of 2021. And we ask that even this morning, as we spent time thinking about your reign and rule, you would impress upon someone, perhaps someone who doesn't yet know that, you are, um, that they are powerless in the world, that, that they're at the end of themselves. Would you impress upon them their powerlessness in the face of eternity? And that having done so, they would turn to you. They would bow the knee before you, perhaps for the first time, seeking forgiveness for their rebellion against you and being welcomed into your eternal kingdom. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen.